Luxembourg's most famous, famous quote, although she's actually quoting um, another socialist writer at the time, but she popularised the term socialism or barbarism. And that was such a prescient quote for her to be writing uh, during the First World War, a point when Germany was poised on a slide towards fascism in the Second World War. This is Wine, Women and Revolution with your host, Heather Warburton. Hi, and welcome to Wine, Women and Revolution. I'm your host, Heather Warburton. Today, I'm going to be talking about one of my personal favorite people, Rosa. If you, as anyone that follows the show knows, we are an anti-capitalist socialist podcast. And I think Rosa may have been one of the first women that I wrote some of her readings of, and really it kind of resonated with me in a way that a lot of other Marxist philosophers or theorists didn't quite resonate as much as Rosa did. So I have a woman with me today. Her name is Kate Evans. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thanks for having me. And you wrote a graphic novel about my dear friend Rosa, right? Rosa Luxemburg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you actually write a lot of graphic novels. I did a little research. Span subjects from childbirth to climate change to revolutionary politics. So I guess the first question is, what specifically interested you in writing a graphic novel about the life of Rosa Luxemburg? Um, I was commissioned, actually. I didn't know anything about Rosa Luxemburg when I started writing the book. In fact, I was about 70 pages into writing a book about physiological birth. And uh, I got an email that said, would you like to uh, draw and maybe script a graphic novel of the life of Rosa Luxemburg? And I basically just thought, oh, Rosa Luxemburg, she's one of those groovy women that people bang on about, a bit like Emma Goldman. I'm sure she's really cool. And I answered the email and said, yes. And then I looked up who she was. So I actually, it wasn't, it wasn't like I had a great love of, Luxembourg's work before or life before I came to the project but um oh my god I totally lucked out it's amazing she had such an interesting life and such an interesting um such an interesting very um contribution to political thought and and the way that the two come together just is absolute dynamite for creating a graphic novel about yeah, and it's interesting because I refer to a lot of, I interview activists and change makers throughout the world, and I kind of always refer to them as superheroes. So giving her kind of the like graphic novel superhero treatment is, it really fascinated me when I saw what you were doing and saw some of the images you'd created. Well, she does have this, she did have, I mean, she, she's a real person, so I'm creating a character about a real person, but she did have an indomitable attitude to life like she tended to sort of see the best in all kinds of situations and that comes across very cl clearly in her personal letters as well as her political writing so yeah I like to say I mean like you could you could have Asterix the Gaul but he never tried to actually start a revolution I mean Rosa Luxemburg makes a better cartoon superhero than most, any cartoon superhero out there and she was real and awesome she was that awesome in real life she's not just a character and that's why it definitely was fairly cool so I guess I wanted to get into a little bit of you highlight some of her theory or her contributions to socialist theory in your book can you go over what a couple of her key elements of what she really focused in on and that you focus 
on in your graphic novel? Well, it was interesting trying to bring her work to the life. I mean, to be honest, it's not that easy to read 19th century socialist. It's a kind of a bit like they were paid by the word because <laughs> there's a lot of words there, you know, like like they were filling up spaces to create their their socialist newspapers. It's really interesting um, when you read the letters of Rosa Luxemburg. If you look how many of the people at the back of the book were typesetters because they all actually physically had to sneakily find the means of production to getting their words out there. There's relatively few socialist thinkers and theorists writing huge amounts of writing, which is very different to today, when everyone's got the ability to tweet or blog. So we've got millions, billions of voices out there, but hardly anyone really gets to say very much in depth. Now, I didn't really know how to start bringing Rosa Luxemburg's work to life until I went back and reread Das Kapital and Marx, and I decided to ground the book in an explanation of Marxism. So I have an early section where um, Rosa Luxemburg is explaining the basic concepts from the first part of uh, volume one of Das Kapital in the table. Uh, it's like it's, it's a mythical conversation. I've created it as, a, as an artistic plot device. But I think you can't really see why Luxembourg's work so great if you don't understand what's wrong with capitalism on a fairly basic level, because everything she did was minded towards overthrowing capitalism. Now, it's quite nice for her to be writing that um, in, in the late 19th and very early 20th century, because revolutions were still sort of like a theoretical experiment. They haven't had the long history that Marxism's had since of having to come to terms with the ways in which the Russian Revolution went wrong. And actually, Rosa Luxemburg's very interesting to read on that as well. You, I got to summarize basically her main contributions where she had an incredible prescient appreciation of colonialism, of the global uh, industrial military complex, of globalization, of the interconnectedness of capitalism with ecological destruction and with colonial, um, you know, genocide. And that's made her work stay relevant. Um, and as well as that, um, she's very interesting theorizing about how mass strike would turn into like how how things can suddenly switch in a moment and how uh, like a mass uprising can take place and how that isn't something that necessarily a party political leader will dictate, but rather like a spontaneous uh, movement that can arise. So those are some of her in more interesting theoretical areas, but she wrote thousands and thousands of pages of party theory and also um, some really, really beautiful and interesting personal letters, which are sort of unconnected from her politics, but combine the two, they both sort of resonate with each other. And she was really kind of ahead of her time on a lot of the things that she wrote about, that, you know, some of her concepts and ideas really are concepts and ideas that we're really digging into deeply now, you know, specifically like climate change and, you know, the industrial, uh, military industrial complex and stuff that we're really seeing what she predicted playing out in real time and a fascist rise across the globe right now. We're seeing what she said was going to happen. So... Luxembourg's most famous, famous quote, although she's actually quoting um, another socialist writer at 
the time, but she popularized the term socialism or barbarism. And that was such a prescient quote for her to be writing uh, during the First World War at the point when Germany was poised on a slide towards fascism in the Second World War. Um, but socialism or barbarism is even more important these days when you're looking at the alternative between Trumpian uh, dystopian future or the possibility of Bernie. Yeah, yeah, there's a, and I, I honestly can't predict which way it's going to go. You know, I always think of myself as hopeful, but seeing the climate playing out in the ground, on the ground, I, I can't make a prediction of which way things are going to go at this point in time. And it's mildly terrifying. Mm. Yeah, but then I think you have to joyfully hang on. I'll go to pepper our talk with Luxembourg quotes. You're going to call on Rosa a little bit to help cheer people up. <laughs> I might chide you for calling her Rosa, you know, because we never call uh, Karl Marx Karl, do we? You don't we go around going Tony instead of Gramsci. Like, I feel like it's the fact that she's a woman means she gets called Rosa. And even though my book is called Red Rosa, so obviously I'm part of the problem. <laughs> I've, re I've reacted against it by calling her Dr. Luxembourg a lot because um, she worked really hard to get that doctorate. In fact, she was meant to um, graduate with, with highest honours, but they, um, they knocked that down to with great honours because they thought that with highest honours was too much for a woman. Mm -hmm. So they deliberately, sexistly wrote down her graduation thing. And I'm sure that didn't wrangle her because Paul Levi mentioned it at her funeral. So it blatantly did wrangle her. And she told everyone about it forever. <laughs> right, if she made it into her funeral eulogy, clearly this was something that upset her and... <laughs> to be with highest honours by the way <laughs> she worked really hard to become a doctor so i call her dr Lux dr luxembourg a lot but she was eternally hopeful though like her most well-known um sort of epitaph is the words that she wrote at the point when the soldiers drag her off to murder her um on her desk it's like tomorrow the revolution will rise up again clashing with its trumpets clashing and say i will i am i shall be and that's very very optimistic um you know yeah for the situation where she's about to be drug off and murdered you know that that's still <laughs> one of her last thoughts of what's going on in her mind of the revolution's going to come you know <laughs> so i know it's terrifying looking at the way that around the globe we're seeing a slide towards fascism but I think Luxembourg sums it up when she says, being human means throwing your whole life on the scales of destiny when need be, all the while rejoicing in every sunny day and every beautiful cloud. That is a very uplifting and beautiful quote. And I think that that kind of writing may be why people sort of love her so much in a way that's, I think, different than they may, you know, you may think of Karl Marx is kind of your uncle, you know, <laughs> at least this is how I might be a creepy uncle, mightn't he? That, that seems very appropriate. <laughs> what was he doing with his housekeeper? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we are going to get into the lives of the li actual life and day to day life of Rose uh, Luxembourg. But, you know, in a way, I think people may think more of her, of her as someone you could be a friend with, not sort of your creepy uncle. And I think it's sort of that writing like that, that maybe makes people think that you might actually be able to have a conversation with her. And really, you have that sort of affinity that maybe you don't really want to hang out with Karl Marx. 
quite nice actually for a bi biographer to because I have acts you know I base my representation of her on her personal letters so I have her letters that she was writing to her lovers including the one to way younger go Rosa <laughs> go Dr Luxembourg um you know I've got her all her letters that she's writing like really quite personally so it does feel like she's writing to you as a friend I also got to cherry pick the parts of her life that I wanted to put into the graphic novel. So the bits of her that I disagree with, I don't have to put in. And I think she was probably quite uh, quite reserved and could be quite prickly. Like I'm, I'm very approximately misquoting here, but there's some, some internecine kind of um, factional struggles that go on in 19... 19th century socialist where at one point she says well if you see so and so from the other party make sure you go to the nearest window and boot them out onto the street so she wouldn't necessarily have been friendly but of course we get this privileged view because we get to read her personal letters I mean it's interesting to compare that I don't think that many people these days would leave behind such a broad and varied but such a personal record of their thoughts and lives again because everybody writes for publication these days because every tweet you write can be read by everyone yeah that's an interesting point and i did want to kind of delve into more of her life we know about her amazing brain everyone knows about her writing and how impactful it was and how just pure genius she was but she was an interesting woman she as you said she's having all these love love affairs and stuff so can we get a little bit more into the life just the day-to-day -day when she isn't being brilliant well to start off with she's a refugee but it's interesting to compare the refugee narrative of dr luxembourg to what you have these days because she can just like she she leaves Tsarist Poland. It's under occupation by the... So, so Poland is part of Russia when she's born and it's illegal to be socialist there. And at the age of 14, she sees some prominent socialists, including a woman, I can't remember her name, being... Um, she's aware of their, um, their execution for their socialist beliefs. So I think she's always got this idea that your political beliefs are something that you may have to sacrifice your life for. And she's quite explicit about that. Um, she says, I would not, um, I would not flee even if, I would not flee even if I were threatened by the gallows. Sacrifice is a part of a socialist work. They're simply a matter of course. Um, so she leaves, so, she, so she, leaves, she she starts to get involved in socialist politics from a very young age. She's potentially only like 15 or 16 years old. But there's, she's very limited in what she can do in um, Poland because she's like four foot 11. She's got a gold tooth, a prominent limp. And she's Jewish with a large nose and dark hair and eyes. And, uh, and she's female. So basically there's only one revolutionary socialist that's going to fit that physical description so her options for being incognito as a socialist in in Warsaw are zilch right so she spends her life in exile she goes off to Switzerland and she goes to uh, university there she gets a doctorate she meets um, a guy called Leo Jorgesis who is a quite an interesting collaborator and lover of hers and a financial backer of her life as well they're together for quite a few years but um uh she ends up in, in germany they don't live together partly because they annoy the hell out of each other so that was quite nice to represent that in a in a in a 
like a, you set up this romantic boy meets girl narrative within the graphic novel and then a, at some point you're just like oh my god these people really do not get on but that's actually quite good from our point of view as well because um the letters that go backwards and forwards between them are a very interesting mixture of the politics of the time and also rose's personal life almost to the point of parody she's writing things like oh jojo i love you so much my heart is nearly bursting would you say that the uh, riots in the haymarket were primarily about the eight hour day <laughs> So they're both utter nerds. Now she carried on being active in um, Russian revolutionary politics, but always at one stage removed in that she's writing in Polish and Russian um, and her work is being imported into Russia and Poland. And I couldn't really represent that very much in the graphic novel because there wasn't a direct way of doing that because she's not directly invo involved in events, you, you know, but... So in, in a sense, you have two, story, two political stories in her life. One is the politics of Germany and the other is the politics of Russia and both involve revolutions and she does have a direct influence on both. Um, and then she lives and works in Germany. It's like the center of socialism at the time. There's like 77 daily socialist newspapers in Germany. So she's, there's plenty of opportunity for her to make a living as a writer. At uh, one point, she joins the Socialist Party. She she goes out there and does rabble-rousing speeches. She can't vote, mind you. She can't stand for election to the Reichstag, but she can, um, she can, you know, drum up support for the Socialist cause. And that's quite interesting because she's not ever kind of compromised by this kind of what's most electable strategy that really bedevils the left. The kind of like, we need to tone down our message and our ideals and our ambitions because people won't vote for that. Whereas in effect, if you don't have any message or ideals or ambitions, people aren't gonna vote for you anyway because you don't stand for anything, but still. Um, so Luxembourg's status as a woman um, actually puts her in kind of like tangential remove from parliamentary politics, which I think really helps her to keep her radical edge. It all comes to a head in the First World War, in the drama to the First World War. She's um, a, a, a fervent opponent of the First World War at the point when every other member of the, Reich, uh, the Socialist Party and the Reichstag have all sold out. They all vote for war credits when war breaks out, even though they're committed to opposing it according to sort of international revolutionary protocol. Um, and she's imprisoned during the First World War. And then after the First World War, there is a revolution in Germany, which is something that they kind of skipped over in my history lessons. I mean, I studied the period um, at high school and they said, and then the First World War ended and Germany was defeated. And it doesn't say anywhere. And then the First World War ended and the proletariat of Germany rose up and seized the means of production and deposed the Kaiser and took to the streets of Berlin and, and occupied various prominent buildings. And yeah, they, they, they missed all they that. They left that part out for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> and then after the German revolution, terrible and tragic things happened, but I can't tell you what they are because I desperately need you to buy the book. <laughs> well, that, that was a good time. Let's talk about the book. Um, <laughs> when did you publish this book? 2015. 2015. And where can people get it if they want to see this or own this graphic novel? Well, it's published by Verso, which is great because they are 
are a major anti-capitalist publishing house. So I can, you know, endorse sales of this consumerist product to my utmost to know that any profit that comes out of it just goes into the translation of obscure, other, boring... No, I didn't say boring. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> of obscure, other theoretical works and their publicity for the for the English speaking world so Verso books are fantastic um, their support's been great and it's been really good for me as a graphic novelist as well because to be honest so I wrote the book and I included a lot of quotes directly from Luxembourg's writing so I used that to construct the dialogue that you see on the pages and then I put extensive quotes from her letters and from her writings wherever relevant at the back of the book so it's kind of like um, I, I hadn't seen it done before. I have seen it done since, but I've written a graphic novel, which is historically cross-referenced. So I've written something that is both an edu you know, a fun like movie-like representation of Dr. Luxembourg's life, but also it's like you can pause it, flip to the back and go, oh, okay. So that's pages related to the exploitation of workers and child laborers in chapter 10, section three, appropriation of supplementary labor power of capital by the employment of women and children in the Das Kapital. So, you know, so I've created an academic comic book. Now, if I was with Yeah, I've a, never seen something like that before. I've never seen an academic comic book. It's a new, and you know, maybe you said you've seen some later, but I've not seen anything like it so far. So it's really exciting to create something well, I, brand I, new. I can give you another one. I can give you another historical graphic novel. Um, there's one called uh, Lovelace and Babbage, which is about Ada Lovelace, the um, first woman uh, programmer. And it's a flight of fantasy. It's hilarious, this graphic novel. But um, there's another one, and it's by a woman called Sydney Padua. So it's published by Verso. You can also buy it directly from me, from my website, which is www.cartoonkate.co.uk. And I will uh, sign it for you and draw a little picture of Rosa Luxemburg in it. And if you let me know who it is that you're signing it to and a little bit about them, I will handpick a Rosa Luxemburg quote that is appropriate for them because I really like doing that. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> that's a very cool feature you're offering there. So that was cartoonkate.co.uk. I mean, I'm not really working as a graphic novelist at the moment because I have MECFS, so I'm on sick leave. So please buy my books from me because it makes me feel like a cartoonist again. <laughs> but you also have a lot of other books as well. You cover a broad range of subjects in your graphic novels. Yeah, it's really annoying, to be honest, because if I specialised in my life as being a breastfeeding advocate or someone who makes representations of of empowering representations of childbirth and, you know, boss, you know, expert on climate change or on the life of Dr. Rosa Luxemburg, I could probably get quite a lot further with it. But what happens is I write a, a book and then I'm like, I've done that. And then I get into the next subject. <laughs> I've done an anti-princess children's book, which deserves to be far better known. It's called Don't Call Me Princess. It stars my daughter, the one who just came in and asked me for a crunchy bar. <laughs> oh, that sounds very cool. I have a mug that I, you know, it's my feminist mug, and it says self-rescuing princess on it, and it's got a little crap. Yeah, yeah. oh, no, I'm a little, yeah, no, because I've got that. I mean, you know, I'm not waiting for Prince Charming, scared I'll end up on the shelf. I'll write my own happy ending, and I think I'll save myself. That's very cool. <laughs> you have a lot of... Uh, empowering children's books which then take the trope of the princess and and sort of try and rehabilitate it so you've got you know princess smarty pants or the princess in the paper bag but 
there's a fundamental problem with princesses, guys. It's called inherited wealth and also being controlled by your parents. Let's just sack the whole princess idea off. I mean, let's take a leaf out of Meghan Markle's book. Yeah, that just happened right before we recorded this, or we started recording this interview, was kind of two royals quit. Like, you guys are racist, you're assholes, we'll be over here doing our thing. And it kind of was a surprising turn for a lot of uh, the royal followers. Yeah, I can only hope that the disintegration of the royal family gathers pace and many more of them stop getting funded by my actual taxes. But there you go. <laughs> So the podcast is called Wine, Women and Revolution. I have got you a personalised Rosa Luxemburg quote because obviously that's what I really enjoy. I had a very heartwarming memory of our last carousal with champagne. It was in the last summer when I was in the Black Forest. It was a marvellous day and after eating, we sat out in the open around a small battery of bottles of mum. We rejoiced in the sun and we were very merry. So can I recommend the wine list of actual champagne to go with your socialism? For this podcast, that is that yes, as recommended, <laughs> as recommended by Dr. Rosa Luxemburg. Absolutely, <laughs> that's great. It's actually quite funny reading about nineteenth-century um, socialists as socialists as well. Um, like Luxemburg was trying quite hard to pass as an upper-class woman, and it was quite important for her to do so because if she wasn't, then she was a woman of uncertain virtue, and she wasn't actually safe. You know. Basically, independent women, like that working class women would support themselves by labor. But if you wanted to support yourself through your intellect, you had to be accepted as of an intellectual class. So there's some really quite dodgy writings from Luxembourg where she's writing about her servants and going, you know, very much speaking about the working class as them rather than us. And you can compare her and contrast her unfavorably with Emma Goldman on this regard, because Emma Goldman works in a glove factory. Emma Goldman was part of the proletariat and never pretended to be anything else. But also Emma Goldman was writing in less class stratified society because she was in America where the industrialization was causing this incredible flux. Whereas Luxembourg was in Berlin and there was aristocracy and there was sort of peasantry. And she had to make it quite clear which line she was on. So the socialism is, uh, so the, the champagne is, is, is real for Luxembourg. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting little tidbit about her life there that I think uh, maybe a lot of people don't know of that her, you know, she actually had to pretend to be of a different class to ensure her well, safety. No, she, had, she had to be of a class. She had to be of a class whereby she was taken seriously as an intellectual. Um, and, you know, she writes these interesting letters to Leo Yorgoshes about which rooms she's going to take when she moves to Berlin. And it's quite important that she finds somewhere where she has freedom and security. So she says of some of the like more unsalubrious ones, there was a door open onto the street and, and there was a gentleman of the king's army with a lady on his arm coming down the stairs. And so basically, this is a place where prostitutes would frequent. Basically, she can't live there. Right. So she ends up taking a room that's quite a long way outside her budget, as given to her by uh, Leo Yorgish's. But she's going, I had to take this lovely room looking overlooking the park in, in a nice part of town with a piano, because that was the only way that she got the freedom to be able to ha ha receive visitors intellectually and, again, live free from this idea that she's making her, her 
she's supporting herself independently through sex work because that really would have been the reality for most women living alone. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. So I did want to touch one a little bit more going back to your book. We kind of diverged from talking about your book, and I want to make sure we get all your plugs in. How many languages and countries has your book been published in now? I think it's 15. It's great. Oh, my gosh. Like, every so often, just another, another copy plops through the letterbox. So there's the German one. And that's actually only come out relatively recently. It was the avenue, it was the anniversary of the German Revolution in 2019. It was the centenary, sorry, and uh, it was published in t- time for that. Um, there's French one. There's Portuguese one, which is a Brazilian one. There's a Spanish one, which is actually an Argentinian one. Um, Korean, Slovenian. Oh, the Slovenians are so lovely. If they, you've got any Slovenian speakers out there, then big. Viggy Baggy Kanigi, the publishers are just the nicest people in the world. I get invited around to go and, uh, and, and, and sort of like launch quite a few of these books, which was great because it's like I got like a specifically socialist themed world tour, which was so much fun. Um, yeah, I'm a little jealous right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is actually an organization called the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation as well, which operates out of uh, various international offices, which is part which which is the parliamentary education wing of the left-wing Die Linke parties in the German Reichstag. So German taxpayers fund the, um, the political education programme by the left-wing parties, and they do it all under the name of Rosa Luxemburg. So I've managed to visit, like, Ukraine and Moscow and... Um, um, Sao Paulo and go and, and in Brazil oh my god that was incredible um, <laughs> and go and meet people doing things now in the name of Rosa Luxemburg which is just such an honor uh, that yeah that must have been really impactful and it's great that there are people still doing things in the name of Rosa Luxemburg that just shows the impact she's had the lasting impact she has on the political there, discourse there is the kind of element to which her work's being rediscovered and reclaimed because the sexism was real during Luxembourg's lifetime and immediately afterwards. In fact, so her masterwork, uh, I should put that word in it in inverted commas, I don't know, mistress work. Her great work is called The Accumulation of Capital. Uh, and it's when she's unpicking the idea that, uh, so she takes it as a starting point. Um, Karl Marx's idea that you have a closed system where everyone is either a producer or a capitalist and that's what he's basically theorizing around in volume two of Das Kapital and and Luxembourg unpicks that mathematically and she proves that for in order to for capitalism to exist it has to expand now that's quite an important insightful um elaboration on Marx's writing and she publishes it in 1912 I think and then she subsequently um, shoved into jail in 19 uh, in the following year she spends quite a lot of time in prison so she's got time to write about the reception that um, the accumulation of capital had and she produces something called the anti-critique of the accumulation of capital which is basically she goes through what every contemporary reviewer wrote about her book and all the different and contradictory ways in which they slagged it off yeah and basically it had a terrible reception mainly because she was a woman because 
in, and, and because over the past 15 years of being part of parliamentary politics in socialist politics in she'd managed to piss off a lot of people by being so uncompromising so they just kind of dismissed her work out of hand now it did make it into print we do have records of it but i feel like you know people are all over gramsci they're you know gramsci's scrappy little prison notebooks which to be honest are not finished and they're not particularly it's like a lot of it's almost you know written in code but his ideas of hegemony and and uh, you know but war waging oh god get your gramscian scholar on to tell you exactly what his his theories are but the point is gramscian theories get sprinkled through left-wing discourse like you know like seasoning yeah but hardly anyone really comes to grips with what luxembourg was writing about and i do think i mean if my book does anything i really hope that it encourages people to go directly to her writings themselves I think that's a great sentiment and it's a good place to end for today. Did you have any quick oh. closing words before we uh, wrap it up here? Other than buy your oh, book? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apart from the overwhelming capitalist message that I'd like this podcast to say. <laughs> oh, oh, no, but I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll end with, with Luxembourg's words herself because I just think, so you might just have put this podcast on any old day i don't know where you are i don't know if you're you're you know where you're wherever you're listening to it you know this is luxembourg writing from prison and she was uh, imprisoned indefinitely for opposing the first world war and it's very difficult to come to terms with an indefinite imprisonment it's not like you could tick off the days until your life restarts again and she just says don't forget as busy as you may be to quickly raise your head and cast a glance at those great silver clouds and that silent blue ocean in which they're swimming do take notice as well of the air which is heavy with the passionate breath of the last linden blossoms and take notice of the resplendence and glory that overlie this day because this day will never ever come again this day is a gift to you like a rose in full bloom for you to pick it up and press it to your lips oh that's lovely <laughs> <laughs> isn't it it's just so beautiful it really is <laughs> And I think that's, you know, a good uplifting at the end. You know, I was talking about fascism earlier, so it's a good way to end on an up note there. And thank you so much for being on the show today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Okay, thank you. Good luck with all the wine. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Drink some for me. <laughs> and make sure you bye -bye. go out and buy Kate, Miss Kate Evans' book, Red Rosa. And check out all of her other books. It seems like she has a lot of awesome books out there. And she needs support. You know, we need to support other women, especially when they're doing awesome stuff like this. And to my listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you more than you can possibly know. The future is yours to create. Go out there and create it.